Mark chapter 2. Rick, that was some good singing. I could hear the harmony and the parts. Y'all did a good job. Appreciate everybody thinking on your feet as well, making the most of the situation. Please be in prayer uh, for all those that are sick. And Nancy, and I uh, pray that she would be feeling a lot better. Uh, speaking of thinking on your feet, of course, uh, this was to be Jeremy's Sunday to preach. He was all prepared to preach. And Friday night, he uh, connected with me, I believe it was. So I know this kind of late notice. Uh, but, can, of course, you could you take Sunday? He said, I, I don't think I can make it. Uh, he's, he's coughing quite a bit. Uh, he's, he's had fever. And, of course, uh, today he said he, he feels some better, but still not just real well. We're, we'll be praying for him. Of course, pray for the Sutherlands as well. Uh, you know, I, I miss those two guys when they're not in the building. It's important for me, uh, of course, uh, to have those two men on staff. And I appreciate both of them. The fact that they're not here. I know it, and, and I miss those guys, and I'll be praying for, for everything to line out where they can all be here together with us. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man Speak blasphemies like this. Who can forgive sin but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk? But you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose and took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors, collectors and sinners, he said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us another clear look at Jesus. We ask as we look at his dealings with men then, we realize he's dealing with us now. 
And Father, we ask that you would help us all to get things right with you and speak to our hearts where we need the truth the most. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We look at the first event here about the paralyzed man that was healed. There's a lot of similarities between this passage of scripture and the ten lepers that we looked at last week, if you remember. And the similarity really hits home when you realize you remember ten were healed and one turned around and the words of the scripture are clear. He glorified God with a loud voice. Luke's account of this passage of scripture in chapter 5 verse 25 of that book says that the paralyzed man, once he was healed, went to his house glorifying God. So you say, well, we, we have some similarities here. But we have two events that we just read about. These two events, of course, appear to be totally different. Totally different. But all three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that mention these two events, put them right together. They put them right together. Immediately following the healing of the paralyzed man was the call of Matthew Levi. What could they ever have in common? The two men involved, totally different. We have one man that was helpless. We have one man obviously had financial problems because he couldn't walk. I don't know how long he had been paralyzed, but it wouldn't take long in that day and time for a regular working man to be broke if he didn't have an income. And if he had been paralyzed for a week, that was one week too much. We don't know, but we realize he was helpless, totally helpless, and he was probably very financially challenged. On the other hand, there's Matthew. Matthew Levi was a very powerful man. He had a position as a tax collector. We're going to look at that a little bit later, but we understand a tax collector was a very powerful man. Tax collector was one of the wealthiest men in town. So there's no, nothing in common here. Oh, but there is. You see, according to the Jewish line of thought, first of all, it was absolutely unimaginable that the paralyzed man could be healed. They said, we've never seen anything like this. They could never imagine on that day, they could never conceive of any way that that man could get up and walk. It was an impossibility, totally unthinkable, out of the question. And to the average Jewish mind, it was just as impossible that a tax collector could be saved. Absolutely unreachable. Absolutely inconceivable. Totally out of the question. Not going to happen. Can't happen. Won't happen. There's no way this guy is ever going to come to know God and follow Jesus. Absolutely not. Totally impossible. Two impossible things happened back to back. Let's look at what happens here. I'm going to look, first of all, this morning at the calling of Levi Matthew. And we'll get to the paralyzed man tonight. So if you want the whole story, come back at 6 o'clock. We look, of course, at the narrative of the calling of Levi Matthew. And one thing that I was impressed with is methods may change, but the message of Christ remains the same. 
the first thing we read, and it may seem to be very insignificant. Again, he went, then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. Then, other gospel accounts say, after this. And what this means, this isn't one several days later. This was right after the healing of the paralyzed man. Jesus left the house and went to the sea and taught them there. He changes location. Why? Why would he change location? Seemed to be having a pretty good church service where he was. But in verse 2, it says, There were so many gathered together in the house that nobody could else could get in to hear him. They couldn't even crowd in at the door. And there's where you have, of course, the situation where they come up and lower the man through the roof. They could not get close to Jesus. They couldn't get close to Jesus to talk to him and tell him about their need. They were a long way off. That meant, of course, that what was happening, Jesus was in the house. People were all packed in. There were all kinds of people around outside of the house. They couldn't hear. And so we understand the message was top priority. They were all gathered together, and Jesus was teaching the word to them. In chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus says, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I came forth. You see, the hearing of the message was top priority. And it was so much of a priority if it meant changing his location or changing his method, he would do this. Now, that's a good lesson for the church in order for more people to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be willing to make some changes sometime. Now, I'm preaching to the choir because our experience together is that this is a congregation that is always willing to make those changes. I remember almost 30 years ago, we were packed into that little building People couldn't get in. That was exciting to us. We found out, of course, people were driving by because they couldn't get in the parking lot. That was unacceptable. So we threw out the idea. Let's go to two services. Let's go to two services. Oh, two services is going to involve a change. It involves a change, first of all, that we can't all be together in one service. Now, I have found that there are a lot of people who absolutely won't consider that. And I've talked to people that say, oh, our church is growing. Our church is growing. It's so exciting, Brother Eric. And I say, well, do you ever consider going to two services? No, we can't go to two services because nobody wants to be apart. They all want to be together. So they don't even consider that. Even pastors, no, no. Well, we don't want to be apart. Everybody wants to worship together. Won't even consider going to two services. Well, you have to make some changes to go to two services. You go to two services, you know also what you need? You may double the capacity in here or in the building, but there's always that overlap. You better have some better parking. And you remember, we started pouring gray gravel over every patch of grass we could. We put a culvert in and put up another driveway. Man, we just graveled the whole place. And you didn't, you didn't bat an eye. You got you to gotta have more parking. Now, the most exciting thing 
One of the most exciting things about this property here, of course, we've got the new building back there, and we've got the, the, the new playground back there, but we also have room that when the time comes where we go to two services in here, we've already got a spot picked out for another big parking lot and another driveway so you can come and go. You see, you got to be willing to make changes. And, of course, going to two services, I can just imagine those people saying, well, we like it in Simon Peter's house. That's where they were. We like it in here because you understand the disciples and Jesus were the first people there so they could all be together. And we get out here by the ocean, it's just not the same as it was in Simon Peter's house. They had to make some changes. Jesus made the change so that more people could hear. Of course, we understand new buildings, and you never backed up at that. New buildings cost money, don't they? And, and building programs are a distraction. I mean, you've got to deal with a lot of things. Building programs like this one, a lot of volunteer labor involved. A lot of people coming into work. But you know what's worth it? Because with every building program, we made more room for more people and, of course, we can't wait till this new room is available in the back here for the young people, for the teens. Because you know what that means? Number one, we got a special place for the teens to call their own. It's just going to be great. But number two, we are out of room on Wednesday night, and it opens up another room for us. You see, it, it would be a lot cheaper just to ignore all that. But you make room. You make room so more people can hear. A lot of people are hearing our messages now that have never heard them before and we didn't have to lift a brick. The live stream. The live stream. Now, we were forced into it, remember when COVID came, but as we began to develop the live stream, we had to pay for more equipment. You never batted an eye, and I appreciate that. Now, we have people all over the country that hear these services. And so I'm aware of the fact that any Sunday morning can be a, a worldwide outreach because we have had people from other countries tuning in. You see, you change the methods. And sometimes we don't want to change the methods because you could say, I'm sure the disciples said, well, we've never done it this way before. We've always met in Simon's house. And it may have been only two times, but that was the two times that they met. But they did something different. Now, the methods may change, but Jesus, the, mes the method may change, but the message stayed the same. He didn't change the message so he'd get more hearers. He just changed the location. He just changed some methods. He didn't try to appeal to the crowd. His message stayed the same. How do we see that? Well, let's look at the very start of the message. Chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus came preaching, and he said this. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. That's the message, repent. There's some sin involved, and there's some repentance necessary. Repent and believe the gospel. In the fifth verse of the scripture that we read, in verse 5, the man came down through the roof, very obvious what his need was. He was a paralyzed man. Jesus looked right at him and said, your sins are forgiven. Now, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus. It's pretty obvious what this guy needs. He doesn't need a sermon. He doesn't need to be called a sinner. You don't need to be doing that. 
Look at, look at what his needs are. Jesus knew that the most important issue that had to be dealt with was this man's sin, regardless of anything else. And sometimes people don't want to hear about sin. Oh, no, no, no. They'll never come here about that. You don't want to talk to them about sin. They'll never come. Jesus never changed the message. Chapter 2, verse 17, what did he say? I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's boil that down to the priority. I came to call sinners to repentance. Through the whole process here, we see some changes in methods, in the way he did things, but he never changed the message. He never changed the word that we are sinners in need of a Savior. That can never change. Or we've missed the mark. Or we've missed the mark. So methods may change. The message never should change. Secondly, Jesus ignores our boundaries and our boxes. Let me explain what we're talking about. Remember last week we talked about boundaries, human boundaries, walls we put up between us and another group of people and the Samaritans and the Jews that had no dealings with each other. They hated each other, but we realize, of course, when 10 of those guys had leprosy, all those boundaries were erased. And you see, there was another boundary here. There's a boundary between regular Jews and tax collectors. Now, it was a hatred that excelled the hatred of the Jews and the Samaritans. And we know that Matthew was a full-blood Jew. How do we know that? His name, Matthew. Levi was his Jewish name, and he was the son of Alphaeus, who was a Jewish man. So it wasn't like Matthew was a foreigner or an alien or a non-Hebrew a non-Jew, or a Samaritan. He was a full-blooded Jew. People hated him because he was a tax collector. I have to tell you about the taxes to get a good view of what's going on. Ordinary people really had no idea how much they had to pay for taxes. There are a lot of taxes to pay. We understand, first of all, there was the poll tax that all men and women had to pay. The poll tax was just simply, you paid this tax because you're alive. That, that's it. Everybody had to pay this tax. Also, there was a ground tax. The ground tax was one-tenth of everything that is grown. Ten percent of everything you grew, if you were a farmer, had to be paid. One-fifth if it was wine or olive oil. So you're talking about 10% to 20% if you were in agriculture. That's right off the top. Now, you're already kind of half mad, aren't you? You could pay it in grain or in the oil or in the grapes or in the whatever, or you could pay it in cash. There was an income tax of 1%. Now, that sounds refreshing, doesn't it? 1% income tax? Oh, but then after that, this is where Matthew comes in. All this is already on the top, so people are already pretty mad. Then there were all kinds of duties. There was a tax payable if you used the main roads, if you used a bridge, 
if you went to the market, or if you accessed the harbor. There were duties payable. Capernaum, this is where this happened as we look in the scriptures. It was at Capernaum. It was on a major crossroads, a major crossroads, international crossroads. So you better believe Herod would have his tax collector right there. A tax was payable on your cart. All right, I'm a merchant. I have a cart full of goods, and I'm taking my cart full of goods to the market, and I'm going to sell those carts, and the tax collector stops me. The tax collector would be the publican because he dealt with public money. That would be Matthew. This tax collector would stop me at the crossroads because he had a toll booth there. Got to stop. He could tax me on the cart. He could tax me on every wheel of the cart. He could tax me on the animals pulling the cart, and he would tax me on the stuff in the cart, and he would assess the value right there. Now, I could dispute that if I wanted to. But then again, feature this. This is Capernaum. This is on the Sea of Galilee. You've got fish. These fish are in the cart. These fish can't stay there very long. The sun's already up. And so Matthew or whatever tax collector says, oh, you don't want to pay what I've assessed? Well, let's get a little bit more precise with the assessment. We'll just stay here a while and unload every fish. Let me measure them. Let me weigh them. Let me look at them. Let me inspect them. Well, what's happening to your fish? They're in the hot sun. You're trying to get to the market. And so now you realize you're going to pay what he assesses, so you want to get to the market. You want to get to the market. So we realize, I don't have the money to pay that. Well, you're in luck, because I can loan you the money to pay that duty right here and now. So he would loan them the money and a lot of times at exorbitant interest rates. You see, there's a lot of room for corruption with the tax collector. Now, a lot of these things were phased out by the time of Jesus' time. There's still enough left to understand in the book of Luke where some folks came to John the Baptist and said, what, what shall we do? John the Baptist said to the soldiers, he said, don't extort money out of anyone and to the tax collectors, he says, only collect what you're lawfully due. There was a lot of excess, a lot of corruption. And tax collectors got rich because of the, the corruption. They took advantage of folks. So therefore, they were hated. How much were they hated? Well, Jewish people and Jewish leader lumped tax collectors together with thieves and murderers. They were all the like. Thieves, murderers, tax collectors. There are writings of the Jewish rabbis that they would put commentary in with the Scripture. With the Scripture in Leviticus where it starts naming all the unclean animals, out there on the margin publicans were listed there. They were, they were mentioned in a Bible commentary. Oh, by the way, you ought to treat publicans like the unclean animals. The tax collector is like a dirty animal. So we realize the touch of a tax collector 
would render your house unclean. Jews were forbidden to receive money from the tax collectors. Even the synagogue couldn't receive an offering from a tax collector. And get this, the Jewish rabbis and Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, they were the ones who were the keeper of the law. They were the keeper of the law in that they wanted to make sure everything done was done according to the law of God. Oh, but there was a loophole. You could lie to the tax collector with impunity. You could lie to the tax collector about what you had. You could cheat on your taxes, and they were okay with it because the tax collectors were so much hated. So there's this boundary between regular Jews and a tax collector. They wouldn't even associate, wouldn't have given the time of day, and Jesus walks up to Matthew Levi and says, come follow me. Whoa. See, he ignored the, one of the biggest boundaries that they put between themselves and others. We've got our boundaries, don't we? We have racial boundaries. We have regional boundaries. We have national boundaries. Their particular nationalities we're just not going to trust. You see, Jesus ignores all of them. He ignores all of them. Sometimes we find that a bit uncomfortable. And no doubt the disciples found it uncomfortable as well. You mean he's, whoa, 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 Jesus. You mean you're asking him to be one of us? Let's, let's think this through, Jesus. Hold on a little bit. Now, if, if he says yes, what if he says yes? What if he says yes and he, he starts being with us? He's not like us. He's not one of us. And he's one of them. Jesus ignored all that and looked right at him and said, follow me. But then again, Jesus ignores our boxes. Now, what, what do you mean by a box? Well, we tend, and I know this is right, we tend a lot of times as people, as American people, to place the things of God, spiritual things, in a box. Typically, that box is Sunday. God's things are Sunday. God's rules are Sunday. But now Monday's the work day, and that's different. That's a whole different ball game. So I'm, I'm going to be one thing on Sunday. I'm going to think one way on Sunday, and I'm going to adopt a, a few things. I'm going to agree with the pastor on a lot of these things when it comes to Sunday that's out of the Bible. Man, Monday, man, this is the work day. That's altogether different, preacher. It's a different world out there. This is the real world. So different rules apply. So all the things of God are placed in the box of Sunday. Or a lot of times all the things of God are placed in the box of what happens here at the church. So a lot of times our service to the Lord happens here at the church. You ever heard somebody say, now watch it, man, you're lying in the church house. Oh, does that mean it's good to lie out of the church house? You see, a lot of times we place God in a box. And so we have our God box this Sunday, but now Monday is work day. And so Monday through Friday, there's a whole different rule. Of, and then Friday night and Saturday night, oh, there's a lot of different rules that apply there because that might be our party box. So you want to put God in this box, and you want God to stay in that box. You see, what happened? Jesus stepped out of the box. 
Jesus wasn't in the synagogue. It wasn't on the Sabbath day. You know where he stepped? He stepped right into Matthew's workplace, the last place that people are going to be comfortable with Jesus would be at the, in the world of a tax collector. But it says that Jesus walked up to him and saw him. Now, you get to the original language. It didn't just well, Jesus walking by and saw him. The word there in the original language, Jesus looked at him intently. So there's Matthew doing the things tax collectors do, abiding by the rules tax collectors abide by. They were not synagogue rules. They were not Sabbath rules. They were the rules of the real world. They were out of the God box. And Jesus walked into his workplace and stared at him and looked. He looked up and Jesus was there looking at him. He looked up again. Jesus was still there looking at him. You see, he ignored the box and looked at him close. And let me tell you this. We may put God in a box on one day of the week and have another box of rules for the next day of the week. Jesus doesn't recognize our boxes. And he's going to watch us very closely on our work day. He's going to watch us, watch us very closely at our homes. He's going to watch us very closely when it comes to what we do on Friday or Saturday. He's going to watch us very closely. You see, Jesus doesn't play by our rules. And he steps out of the box, and he walks into any box we may have. That's the way Jesus does. And he doesn't need your permission. So he's watching him. He's watching him. And then he walks up to him. Now, I can imagine the disciples saying, this is going to be good. Jesus fixed to tell him good because, you know, they hated this guy. And then Jesus really steps out of the box and does the impossible. He reaches the unreachable. He reaches the unreachable. He looks right at Matthew and says, follow me. I'm sure people are saying, Jesus, you are wasting your time now. He's unreachable. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. But in verse 14, it simply says he arose and followed him. Now, Luke says it this way. Luke chapter 5, Matthew Levi left all and arose and followed him. You say, shouldn't it be the other way around where he has to stand up first before he walks away from it? Oh, no, no, no. That happened in his heart before he ever stood up. He left everything to follow Jesus. He had the most to leave than any other disciple. More money, more power, more position, more stuff. He left it all and followed Jesus. He rose up and followed him. Well, look at what happened when Jesus ignored the box and reached the unreachable. It says that Matthew left his box and he invited Jesus to his house. In verse 15, he was dining at Levi's house. Many of the tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus. Now, 
I can imagine how uncomfortable the disciples were. They never wanted to be around one tax collector. Now they were in a whole covey of tax collectors. You see, Jesus challenged them to step out of their box, and there they are at Levi's house. There they are at Levi's house because Levi realized there's not a Sabbath box and there's not a synagogue box. If I'm going to love Jesus and if I'm going to follow Jesus, that's going to include every box of my life, and it includes my home, and it includes my friends. And he invited all his friends to be with him. There's tax collectors and sinners. That meant there were other people of ill repute. Sinners would be the people that sometime are necessary to have a good tax collection booth. Because the tax collector always had the guys he called the enforcer. They're the ones that uh, could get a little bit heavy-handed if you decide not to pay your taxes. They were intimidating guys. They were all there. All the town outcasts were there. And you see, Matthew thought outside the box and invited all his friends. And look what happened. Tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many. Watch this. They followed him. Wow. Matthew didn't just follow him. A lot of his tax collector and sinner friends followed him. Jesus did the impossible. Jesus reached the unreachable, not just one time, but a lot of times. The very same day. You see, that's what happens when we're willing to follow Christ and we're willing to ignore boundaries, throw away our boxes, and follow him wholeheartedly and give the message of Jesus Christ priority in our lives. He does the impossible. He reaches the unreachable, does things we never would imagine. Nobody would have predicted that around the breakfast table that morning. But it happened. And there were some people who were a bit uncomfortable with him. The scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners and said to us, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? That was their harshest criticism of the day. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. But their harshest criticism is our greatest comfort. You see, to eat with somebody meant that you're willing to share yourself and accept them into your table or to go to their table. So there was a level of friendship there. There was a level of acceptance there. There was a level of you're willing to talk to them, to view them as a real person. Jesus ate with sinners. That's us. That's us. Their greatest criticism is our greatest comfort. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus was quoting the Pharisees in Luke chapter 15. He says, you say, this man welcomes sinners. He's the friend of sinners, he said in, in Matthew chapter 11. He, this man receives sinners sinners and eats with them. That means he welcomes them. And he was called a friend of sinners. 
they thought they were really criticizing Jesus. What they did, folks, was to give us our greatest comfort. Because if Jesus is a friend of sinners, that means he's my friend. It means he's your friend. Because we're all there. Our sins may be different, but we've got them. And Jesus is the friend of sinners. So he welcomed sinners, which is us. And he issued the call to Matthew, the most unreachable, to follow me. Are we willing to follow Jesus Christ? Have you accepted Christ and believed in him? Is there a box or a boundary that now you're quite uncomfortable with and say, well, I, I believe I'm in that, that category? You want to just rise to meet the challenge to ignore the boundaries and the boxes like Jesus, be full-fledged follower of Jesus Christ. He wants to bless your life just like he was eating with you at the table and be the friend that you've needed all your life. Brother Rick, come to the piano. We're going to do things a bit different. Rick's going to play.